Today on Context, we dedicate our program to International Women's Day and honor women of every stage, age, race, and religion, and the men who love us. Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker Mariam Ibrahimi speaks with Context's Fatan Al-Faraj, see here love host and new author Melinda Estabrooks, and 100 Huntley Street host Cheryl Weber talk women in Christian media with Maggie. Nikeshi Noirfor Robinson of Empowered in My Skin and the TD Bank speaks about black women in tech and corporate leadership. And an always inspiring talk with my own mom who beat the odds going back to university as a single mother. But first, we begin in Cyprus with a conversation with the fascinating Sat7 CEO, Rita Elmuner. Here's Maggie John. Founded in 1995, Sat7 is the first Christian television network broadcasting to an audience of over 20 million people in the Middle East and North Africa, known as the MENA region. Its mission is to make the message of Jesus available to all, broadcasting 24-7 over five different channels in multiple languages. The woman at the helm is Rita Elmunaya, CEO of Sat7. Rita, Thank you so much for joining me today. It is an honor to talk to you. I want to hear, what is it like to be a woman in your position in the Middle East? What challenges have you had to face? Well, first of all, hi. <laughs> the biggest challenge for me is a taking over from the founder, uh, and he, he is the president now. So he is, you know, like a man. He's very well known. He knows everything about everything. And I'm obviously not like him. I have my own strengths and weaknesses. So this was a big challenge for me. But um, being a Lebanese and in a house where uh, women are appreciated, I remember my dad put us, me and my sister, with the best schools in town when my brothers didn't go to the best schools in town like, like us. It feels um, really great, you know, like to have a role example of a dad who wanted the best for us as his, you know, like girls uh, in a society like Lebanon. It's, in, it's the Arab world. And the challenge, um, I didn't feel a big challenge. Uh, to tell you the truth, why? Because I've been born in a way in Sat7. I've been 25 years in this ministry. Sat7 is not a job for me. It's a call. Um, it's it's a mission. It's something that is on my heart, and people could see it. Uh, women and men in the organization, not just women and men in the organization that I work with every day, but also as part of our executive board, they could see that in a way I inhale Sat7. Sat7 is in my vein as blood, uh, because I've seen the difference that the programs over the years made in you know like in people's hearts and mind. I could see the result of um, broadcasting in Arabic, Turkish and Farsi and see people coming to the Lord because of the pro yeah. broadcast and the programs we broadcast and now the online services. So it, it's definitely a calling for you. You know, reading the Bible, we know that Jesus honors women. Um, do you see the church and Christian ministries doing the same or are they following worldly views of women? How do you see the Christian uh, market appreciating or welcoming women? It depends. I mean, like the Middle East is not a homogeneous society or a culture. So what you see in Jordan is different than what you see in Lebanon or in Egypt or North Africa or in places like Yemen and Saudi Arabia. 
the culture is Arabic. If I'm talking in the context of the Arabic culture, the culture is Arabic. And the Arabic culture doesn't mean that it's Islam because the Arabic culture is 600 years before like the rise of Islam. But you can tell that a lot of times in certain countries, women come as number two. And this is reflected sometimes in churches. So uh, women can rise to be teachers in, uh, in Bible studies for women, can be a you know, like maybe a, a, a Sunday school teacher. But uh, when it comes to preaching or on the pulpit or directing, you know, like um, services that uh, heading, you know, like over men, this is frowned upon. But as I said, it's not everywhere. It's not, you know, like uh, one thing, you know, like fits all countries. It depends from a country to another and a church uh, 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 and a church to another in the Middle East. That, that's fair. We only have a minute left, Rita, and I want to ask you really qu quickly. How do you use your position and your platform to empower other women who are going to be coming up the ranks right behind you? I tell them my story, a story of a child born in the, in the war in Lebanon, a story of a child that has insecurities and sometimes um, sleeping in bunkers because of the war and shellings and how uh, dad played a big role in my life and how uh, with, the, with his help, with the help of God, I, um, I put everything in his hands and here I am today. So when I share the story, and this is what we do also on Set7, share stories like mine, because it's not a unique story, of women who had challenges but yet succeeded. It's, it inspires not just, you know, like women, but also girls in the Middle East and North Africa to associate their stories, you know, with, with my story and other stories and aspire to be leaders one day. Oh, you are an inspiration. Thank you so much. It was an honor to talk to you today. Rita Elmunaya, CEO of Sat7, thank you for your time today. Pretty women ask me where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size, but when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say it's in the reach of my arm, the span of my hips, the stride of my confident step, the curl of my lips. I am a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. Nketchi Nwafor Robinson is a force to be reckoned with. She is an associate vice president at one of the largest banks in Canada, and she is the CEO and founder of Empowered In My Skin, an organization that is a catalyst for real change, transformation, and empowerment of women. Thank you so much, Nketchi, for joining us today. What is it like being a black woman in leadership in the business world, especially in the light of the global racial awakening that we experienced in 2020? So I just have to share like where I came into that whole, I'm a black woman in the business world. It was, I was working at IBM and I happened to be sitting on a panel and it was a technology panel. And the question was just popped out. It says, you know, what is it like being a black woman in tech? And I was like, wow, I have to worry about that too. Like I've just been worried about being black in rooms where there isn't a lot of people that look like me. Um, and, you know, I made that decision at that time that I wasn't gonna put myself into another box. Mm. I wasn't now gonna start becoming this black woman in tech. I am a human being and I happen to be in technology. I happen to work in corporate and I happen to be beautifully black. And I embraced that, but I recognize that that wasn't necessarily what 
everyone coming up, you know, around me or, or behind me felt. And so I made the decision at that time that rather than stand in it, like sort of stand in that box, I'm going to stand for it and I'm going to engage and, and do things to help to elevate, you know, the tables that I'm at to help to make a place in the space for all. So as you talk about elevating the conversation, what does that look like and what does that sound like as you're in these spaces wanting to elevate uh, the conversation in this realm? Yeah, so for me, it looks like calm. It looks like peace. It looks like conversation. So for me, it's about getting to a place of understanding. I, I say it all the time that understanding is the truth we all stand under. And it looks like me daring greatly to share my story um, with others to help them understand. Yeah, the different conversations. You know, as we're celebrating International Women's Day today, and in a recent Globe and Mail article on the power gap that still exists in the business world, it was found that women occupied just 17% of board seats at companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in 2019. You know, fewer visible minorities, Indigenous people uh, were largely absent. Are you seeing a movement in the direction of inclusion as you're having these conversations? I often now, when I sit on panels, when I go to conferences, I see way more women. I mean, it, we're not we're not even close. Like I, but I definitely would say, you know, where we were ten years ago, we're we're well above that now. We're actually hitting the targets that that we're setting, and perhaps it's time to raise them a little bit higher. Um, we still have some work to do, yeah. um, but I definitely know that there's a you know a serious interest, and I and I would say on the diversity front, like even on just on engaging more Black women, you know I think there's a lot to be learned from the amount of focus and mission that we put on elevating just you know women in the business world, bringing more women up in corporate that we can really learn from, and now start to make that a little bit more inclusive for everyone. Mm. How about your faith? How does your faith play a role in your leadership? God is everywhere for me. I'm, I'm wearing them on my, I'm wearing them on my neck right now. Um, but it's, uh, I would say for me, and I'll, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like, it's a gap, a love mm. is that instant love for the people that I work with unconditional. Um, and I lead from that space. Like love is my guidepost. It is my guiding principle. Um, and it's how I approach everything. I have a mantra that says I create amazing experiences for myself and others. So it's my emails, it's my conversations, it's my, you know, my text messages. Um, and it's how I, it's how I allow my mind to be open to say that there is space for all, right? I'm not in competition with anyone. Right. I'm I'm really here just to do the work that God has put me here to do so that when my day comes, I can say that, you know, I left it all out and there's there's no disappointment. Um, and I want that for everybody. And I think that that's where Empowered on My Skin came from, is that desire to help people think in ways that are empowering. And then the lead domino that that creates, empowered people, empower people. And I truly believe that 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 to me is just living God's promise for us. Oh, so well said. Thank you so much. And catching you off for Robinson. Thank you. It has been a pleasure to talk to you today. To our Susan Ponting now and a unique interview with her own mother, Beverly, who as a single mother beat a lot of odds when she first went back to high school and then on to university to become a social worker. Hey, thanks, Maggie. So um, I'm here at my mom's home. 
We're talking about International Women's Day and the incredible women on the show, the powerhouses who we've spoken to. It's usually a saying in science that we stand on the shoulders of giants. One of the giants in my life, though, is my little wee mom, Bev. So let's go in and have a talk. Hi, Mom. Hi, Susan. How are you? Good. How about you? Good, yeah. Wow, you so, look like a rock star. So something. do you. Okay, well, all these years, Mom and we're actually uh, doing our first interview. Wow, yeah. Really something, hey? Yeah, I love your hair. <laughs> I love yours. Oh, well. I've prepared questions instead because you're my mom. So. Yeah, that's a good idea. And of course, you know, I'm your favorite child, so yes. the brothers will see this. She says yes. yes. They'll already, they know that anyway. I really wanted to interview you for this show because it's International Women's Day. Right, and March 8th. Yeah, and you're one of the very influential women in my life. And uh, I, you. you know, really want to know first of all, because this pandemic has been really hard on everyone very difficult yeah very very huh. very difficult yeah how is it for you how have you been it wasn't too bad in the beginning mm -hmm. and what was it about six months i think before the they took the lockdown on and like last september august september and i thought well this is it so this is going to be great but mm -hmm didn't work out that way so yeah. it just becomes more difficult and now they have the new variants out there so there's something else to worry about mm -hmm. but I see that they're starting shooting or the vaccines I can get my shot the third week in March isn't that great yes that's wonderful that I'm really looking forward to that yeah so you were a single mom no easy feat for you or the kids right yeah. you used to take me to York University when yes. you were getting your social work degree and yes. I, I used to roam the halls can't do that anymore no. so you went to university which is why I went back to school later in life as well because I watched what you did looking back on it now was it all worth it? Oh, and absolutely. You beat the Best odds. Best thing I ever, oh, I can't even imagine my life without it. That was the passport to everything I did. I got great jobs. They told me one of the things they said, the maxims were, don't take social work because nobody can get jobs in social work anymore. I couldn't get out of social work. Yeah. So what would you say to an upcoming uh, young woman and wanting to be a social worker. Oh, I'd say it's one of the best jobs you can have. I really, I really mean that. I, I, I almost think I wish I was still there in lots of ways, you know? Well, you still What's do. Better? Well, yeah, but. You do your social work on me. That's true. <laughs> well, I, I mix it up, yeah, with, with stuff. Well, yeah. What would you say to a single mom who may be watching our interview right now? Don't get discouraged. <laughs> Just keep on plugging, you know. Mm -hmm. It's all worth it. Mm -hmm. I can remember parking my car on Steeles Avenue and going into little businesses looking for a job before I even got in. And just keep doing what you're doing, and it'll you'll, you'll get where you want to go. Mm -hmm. But you got to have a vision, and it uh, just don't give up. Good advice. And yeah. I know you're a woman of prayer. Yes. It means a lot to yes. you. Yes. Absolutely, yes, 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 I am. And positive faith, thinking, good positive thinking, positive thinking, affirmations, prayer. Yeah, yeah. 
prayer. Oh yeah, there's a lot to pray about these days, I've noticed. I know. Well, yes, International I like. Women's Day, I salute you, Mom. I take off my hat, I Thank give you. you my heart. You too, We've you been too. a long way, a long, yeah. we've come a long way, and I'm, I'm grateful for you, and I love you, and thank you. Well, I love you too. And I know you're, you do. You're okay, you don't have more to than we're, oh, oh, no, Mom. no, okay. but it's true. Love you. Thank you, sweetheart. There are women in Afghanistan who would literally prefer to be in jail than live in a world of constant persecution, beatings, even death. Contact Fatin Al-Faraj now with Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker Miriam Ibrahimi. Mariam, in your Emmy Award-winning film, No Burkas Behind Bars, it says the following, and I quote, Women are normally faceless in Afghanistan. Outside the home, burkas cover them from head to toe, completely masking their identity, rendering Afghan women invisible. Yes, uh, something that I confronted with the first time that I was, I was in Afghanistan, I thought that I cannot see the faces of these women. They are hidden and they have no identity in this society. The first thing is that you always think who is behind this burqa, what are they thinking and how they look like. And you try to find the codes in the society that talk to you about the identity of these women. Sometimes they want to lose their identity because they don't want to be themselves as a woman. They don't want to be seen. You know, this is many of them that they, in many villages or small towns, we see that most of the women have burqa because it's a kind of protection. But this is not their choice. This is not that they like to have them. This is just better for them. It's like a shield. Why they are imprisoned in the first place? What's their crime? They get imprisoned because of a crime which is called moral crime. And what is moral crime? When a woman without the permission of, a, of her husband or man relatives uh, leave the home or escape from the home, uh, then if the woman is arrested by police and get many years of imprisonment, I realized that these women, even that they are living inside the prison, they're happier there because um, it shows that this prison, they have each other and they were the most, I mean, the smartest intellectual women in Afghanistan because they were aware about their rights and they were, they didn't let that they violence men, you know, do whatever they want to them. And many of them, they just escape to do not be killed. And it's so ironic that exactly what you said, that they feel more free and liberated while they are behind bars rather than being actually outside. And that's why that the film is you know, uh, no burqas behind bars, but no burqa is a kind of uh, symbol of another prison for these women because 
many of women they don't want to even wear burqa but this is even that in afghanistan there is no rule that you have to put burqa but many women feel more comfortable behind the burqa because they are safer so mariam in your films you shed a very bright light on so many topics and issues concerning women and their human rights uh, what's the backstory like what fueled this passion in you to make those films I was just three years old that when the Islamic revolution happened in Iran and then all my childhood, I always was forced to have wind and I had no idea why. I started the school right away and I didn't like it, honestly. I, I respect many people that they have wind, but I, for my age, it was not understandable. And after that, many, many rules and this is country that the women didn't have the same rights that men have. So this is also becomes a motivation and driving force inside you that you fight your rights for your rights and you understand that for making the life better for the others is like that uh, you're totally aware because if you have a tough life yourself, if you are living in in a um, your childhood or when you're youth or when you grow up, it's not in freedom, you understand the value of freedom, especially as a woman, then this question is always in your mind. Appreciate at the same time that I was experiencing things that give, gave me a perspective to fight for other people, better life for other people. And if I can be a voice for them, if I can be a tool to give the message, why not? And finally, I just want to ask you, what would you say to the women who are deprived of their basic human rights? And how can we acknowledge them today and acknowledge their strength to survive? I just say that they, have, they are powerful. They can change. They can change, you know, little by little. Just believe to that and support each other. This is what I learned. I learned from this women. Coming up on the queue, how some women navigate the world of Christian TV. I invite two longtime friends in Christian media, Cheryl Weber of 100 Huntley Street and Melinda Estabrooks of See Here Love to talk about sharing their faith in broadcast television. That's still ahead. Like to watch more context beyond the headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online. On YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up-to-date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life. Time now for The queue. I'm joined by two women I have known for a very, very long time. Cheryl Weber is one of the hosts of the longest-running daily television show in Canada, 100 Huntley Street. And Melinda Estabrooks is the host of See, Here Love, a show dedicated to women on their faith journey. Thank you both for joining us here on The queue on Context. We, as we're celebrating International Women's Day, what does it mean to be a woman of faith in today's culture? Cheryl, maybe I'll start with you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not easy. 
you know, in a sense, like, um, I think probably 20 years ago is more accepted that you might have a faith. Now it's almost kind of antagonistic to have a faith in a sense. And yet we're in a time when it's never been more needed, when people are more desperate, more hungry, looking for comfort, dealing with anxiety and fear and crisis. So I, I see that role, you know, as kind of, um, maybe not what people are inviting, but absolutely what people need. And we see people grabbing that hope every single day. And that's what gets me out of bed is like, it's changed my life. So it's hard to explain sometimes when people are telling you um, they don't want it or they don't find it interesting. But at the same time, you know, it's exactly what will give them that spark in their step and that joy and that peace in their heart in the time, this incredible time of uncertainty. Mm. Maggie, I agree with Cheryl. I think I feel the gravity and weight of responsibility to be a voice, um, a, a, a Christian voice, a voice that follows Jesus. It is a privilege and honor that I have this platform that I can share hope, peace, joy, and love, just like what Cheryl's saying, but it's not easy. It's hard. And there are moments that I kind of like shake in, in my stilettos uh, with, with the responsibility. But man, uh, when you have yourself and Cheryl in the same places of, of Christian women in media, it, it encourages me to keep going. Mm. Now, this year's theme for International Women's Day is choose to challenge. What have both of you had to challenge uh, in your roles and in your in your roles on, on your different shows and your perspectives? Melinda? Yeah, I would say, you know, I choose to. I love this for National Women's Day. I choose to challenge. I, I think I choose to challenge just having the same voices and people represented on my show. You know, for this year, Maggie, it's all been, it's all been about, you know, listening, learning, leaning in, and amplifying BIPOC voices. And so I am, like, choosing to challenge sort of the status quo and usual voices that we always hear in Christian media and, 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 and expanding, trying to get everyday voices of women and men across Canada and the world to speak on issues that matter. I think for me and oh, Melinda, I love what you're doing on See Here Love and it's so important and I think we're working on that diversity piece on 100 Huntley Street too and we need to keep working on it but I think for me two fronts are the challenges. I mean obviously there's been this whole shift to like right now we're broadcasting from home. Um, had to learn a lot about that and I've been challenging myself particularly as we've come into this year to learn all kinds of new things about the digital world. I know there's a huge shift happening. We want to be on the front of that. I personally want to be on the front of that. But I think the other challenge is that you can get overwhelmed with what's happening in the world, the negativity that we're hearing every day in the media. Like I'm a journalist, so I'm reading all kinds of different news sources and they're all like, the, you know, through this last year, the world is coming to an end. We're all gonna be, it's like the Great Depression. You know, it's just been, and so my challenge has been that I have to feed myself with hope. I have to keep my spirits up. I have to keep anxiety out of my door in order to give anybody else anything. I've got to get it first. I don't have the luxury of wallowing in any of it. So protecting my spirit and my mind and filling myself with hope so I can give it out. Mm -hmm. Melinda, your new book, Always Know, mm -hmm. uh, a collection of inspiring words and stories from some of your guests uh, over the past number of years on See, Here Love, a, a way of, of continuing to communicate hope. Tell me about the motivation behind this book and what you hope it, what you hope it will do. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much. You know, this came out of the pandemic. We didn't know if we were going to be able to broadcast or be on television. We had no idea what this pandemic was going to do for us. And I remember sitting with my team and saying, what can we do? They said, we have blogs and devotionals for every single show that we have, you know, we have produced. And so we put together a collection, 49 Canadians, Maggie, one American, 
right across coast to coast to coast across Canada, sharing, sharing, you know, about issues that matter, overcoming shame, being brave, leading well, knowing you're loved and valued by God. All of these topics, Maggie, are topics that young women have said, these are topics that we need your help on. Be a virtual mentor to us, Melinda. And so we put them all together. And what's great about this book is it has reflection and takeaway at the end of every devotional. And every devotional is connected to an episode where you can watch the writer on our show. And it's hopeful, it's really life-giving, and it's very practical tools on how to live your best life with Jesus. So good, so good. Thank you both, Cheryl Weber, Melinda S. Brooks, for joining me on Context. It was a nice little reunion. Yes, <laughs> I love loved it. it. Thanks, Maggie, so much. <laughs> and we're cheering you on, Maggie, like crazy. Yes, Woo! Thank you, Hi, I'm Kelvin Mazak, Director of Context. We could not produce this program without you, our viewers and our donors. If you'd like to find out how you can support the show, visit crossroads.ca forward slash context or our website, context.show. We'll see you next week and every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. right here on Yes TV. Thank you.